What would our world be without leaders, innovators, and kingdom builders? Welcome to Under the Crown, where you get inside the twisted minds of our host, Trey Carmichael, and the kings and queens in his circle. Covering leadership, marketing, sales, recruiting, management, and so much more. Under the Crown is here to help you build your kingdom. Are you prepared for the siege? What's going on, guys? It's your man here, Trey Carmichael, coming up at you with another episode of Under the Crown. Today, I'm excited to bring you guys my man, Mike, with Sell Your Service all the way from the UK. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do for the people who don't know you, man? Yeah, man. Um, I'm really glad to be here, by the way. I love this format. I think it's uh, I think it's a great idea just to get that in before we kick off. Um, so, yeah, I basically run a few businesses now and our core focus is working with agencies specifically to help them double their monthly revenue and what we tend to do is help them uh, by making them work less essentially most people tend to hit a bit of an income ceiling or a bit of a bottleneck and they might be making like 200 500 you know grand a year or even a million a year but they're finding they're working like 60 70 hours a week so we make them reduce their working hours while increasing the amount of revenue that they take home uh we've got books uh youtube channel software coaching programs a little bit of everything and i spend most of my time now um kind of really working deeply with a lot of my clients inside our coaching community and creating content so that's it in about 60 seconds i guess i love that man so Let's dive into the King's journey. Who yeah. were you before you got into this agency space and how did you find your way into it? Yeah, um, so it's a little bit uh, kind of circuitous, I guess, um, which I think is probably a bit of a theme among uh, a lot of us when we do this. I, I was never really, so a lot of people who are like entrepreneurs and business owners, and I'd be interested to hear what you say, they refer to themselves as they like they were like oh, I was always entrepreneurial as a kid like I was always selling stuff as a kid I don't know if you've felt feel that way yourself a lot of them really do yeah yeah um personally I I wasn't I wasn't massively entrepreneurial when I was going to school the idea of running your own business was, wasn't even like a, an option you know um and so I really wanted to do something else and at the time I thought I wanted to go into corporate marketing and what I actually ended up doing was I trained as a chef. Uh, so at the age of 17, I started training as a, a chef. Um, and then I started in like butchery um, and, and a fishmongers of all places and bit by bit worked my way through a few restaurants and then eventually was trained in France. Um, and at the age of 21, I had a, a hotel restaurant, which in my opinion now with the kind of benefit of hindsight, I would not have given that job to a 21 year old, particularly a 21 year old who had such a uh, proclivity towards uh, drugs and alcohol. Um, <laughs> and so after a while, uh, I kind of got a bit sick of it. And I basically wanted a job with air conditioning. So that's when I got a degree and worked in corporate marketing. And then I got fired from my corporate marketing job. And that would have been in 2012. Uh, and that was from a company called Symantec, which are like a pretty big global data security company. Uh, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm just going to start my own agency then. And that's where I really got into the kind of space around 2012. So it'll be about 10 years now that we've been doing this. Um, and I started my first small agency. And then in 2016, I had an earn out and exited that with a media company buying us uh, and then kind of worked my way into what I'm doing now really. So yeah, bit of a leap and then kind of took it from, from there. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the mindset shifts that you went through whenever you were going from that job and then getting fired and then going from that to building your own business afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is definitely a big shift. And I now believe that kids should be taught this sort of stuff in school because what I, what I really found upsetting was that I became very disillusioned with 
working for somebody else. I was like, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. I've got a degree. I've now got a ton of debt from the degree, right? Um, I'm doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do, but I was miserable in the job and I didn't enjoy it. They fired me because I didn't really get it, but maybe that was true. I didn't really get corporate marketing. The irony now is that I'm employed by some massive corporations to come in and train up their marketing team. So it's funny how that kind of shift happens. And the irony is I'm bought in and it's because I don't think the corporations are the right way to run a lot of businesses. So this is funny kind of flip like that. Um, I think one of the biggest summaries is that a lot of people in my family, some of them are business owners and entrepreneurs, and I've, I've kind of always turned to them. Um, but the ones who aren't, and I find a lot of people who aren't, their biggest problem is they say, how can you feel comfortable not knowing how much you're going to earn this month? And I always feel, I always say, I don't know how you can feel comfortable knowing how much you're going to earn this month. That to me seems a massive shame and a big waste. So it's less about, for me, the grind and the hustle. And it was really about shifting away from the responsibility of money. That was a huge component of, of running a business's income and sales and all that. And revenue is now both personally and through the business is all a hundred percent my responsibility. Um, and that was probably been the biggest fundamental shift in like understanding the role within the company rather than just being given a salary. That to me was huge. There's a few others, which I'm sure we can talk about that, but that was certainly the biggest one. Yeah. I'd like to expand upon that a little bit. Actually, you said that you think that some more of this stuff should be taught to kids in school yeah. and should be more common knowledge. Yeah. What yeah. are some of the core things that you think should be more common knowledge just to the general public? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, how money works, you know, in general, I think a lot of people believe that the the best way to earn more money is to get more experience and to have like more education. And we know categorically that that isn't true. I now hire people with master's degrees and PhDs, right? So I hire people who are smarter than me and yet I make considerably more than they do. So already you see a massive flip in, if you just learn everything you can constantly through an academic route, that by definition does not equal a larger check and a larger take home. That was the biggest lie, I think, that we are taught and we are sold. The reality is, and it's going to be a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but it's, I think it's a lot of it based in truth, is that schools are really designed to create employees. That is their core role. And for teachers, nurses, doctors, engineers, I want that. You know, I had uh, cancer last year, and I don't want my oncologist kind of taking YouTube videos, I want him learning. <laughs> yeah, so there is absolutely a place for academia. But the biggest lie we are taught is that the more educated you are, the more educated you become, the more you will earn. That just is not the case. That doesn't happen. That's not true. Um, and then the other aspect is just how money works. Even if you decide to just get a job, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> like, I don't know how you feel, but when people ask me how running a business is, I try to turn them away from it because I'm like, you've got no idea how hard it is. Um, and now we're in a pretty decent place, but that's it's like 10 years, you know, to really, really work at it. And we've had some huge mistakes along the way. So if you want to get a job, that's great. But understanding how pensions work, understanding how mortgages actually work, understanding how investing actually works, and it is becoming more and more open. But a lot of people have some really kind of sick ideas about money, and that tends to come from childhood and tends to come from schools. Teachers are great for teaching you art or history or academia or biology or whatever, but there also needs to be components around this is what, what credit is. This is what compound interest is. This is why your credit score could ruin your life. This is why credit cards can be both a blessing and a curse. This is how loans work. This is how money works. This is how tax works. And just having a, a basic understanding of <clears throat> how you could essentially be wealthy and retired much earlier without following traditional means of getting a job, saving a bit of money, and putting and, and following a company pension. Uh, I just think it's a real shame that we're not teaching kids that earlier because they would be happier in the long run. I resonate with that. I got into the business world early and I also got 
poor financial advice early oh, yeah. or legal advice early. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm having to hire financial and legal experts to clean various things up for me just because I didn't know how to set up an entity, right? Yeah. I didn't know how to do the tax planning and yeah. none of that was just readily available to me when I was growing up. So yeah. now I'm having to pay for it. Yeah. So I know I'm going to be happier whenever I have that knowledge, but because it wasn't taught, taught to me, I'm having, I'm having to spend all the money now. I'm having to, I'm having to drop a ridiculous amount of money now just yep. to learn that stuff and to get it all straight so that I can move forward in a way that best represents everything I'm trying to do. So I, yeah, I resonate so, with that big time. So how old were you when you've learned that? Which part? So this lesson you are, so how old are you now? I'm 24. All right. You're t- wow. You are young. Okay. Jeez. All right. So you're 24. So, and when did you get started in this thing of running a business then? 18. Okay. That is young, right? I, my hat's off to you, Trey, because that is, I don't know many 18 year olds who would have the wherewithal to want to do this. So first of all, that's outstanding. So that's what six years of education you basically put into yourself that you've paid for. Now, the irony is that it was cheaper for you to learn it now than it's going to be in another 10 or 20 years. But think how cheap it would have been if you'd have learned that at eight years old, right? And I'm talking like fundamental basics in money and money management. We have some really sick ideas that like, oh, rich people are idiots and they're um, morally bankrupt. I don't, I've got no evidence to support that at all, but we're taught that as children. Um, mm-hmm. And yet if someone was to just say, well, actually, here's how money really works. Uh, here's how investing really works. Yes, anyone can invest in stocks and shares. Um, like anyone can put money aside. Anyone can own property. We have these real chips on our shoulders from our parents and from education and from school about a lot of this stuff that we carry with us for years. And the sad part is the only way to learn that lesson is through losing money. That is the only way to learn those lessons unless we had learned them at a very young age. Uh, And so it's a real shame to me that we can't just do that to kids early on because money is going to be the only thing. Money is the most consistent thing throughout your entire life. Health and fitness comes and goes, right? Family, friends, all of that stuff comes in waves. But money is the number one thing that will follow you around for your entire life. Is that to say that it is the most important thing? Absolutely not. And I've learned some massive lessons over the past even 18 months around just why it's not the most important thing. And yet it is the number one thing that causes stress among families. Um, It's the number one reason people get divorced is uh, because of money problems and not being able to talk about and having open communication about money. Something I'm forever grateful about with my wife is she's not only very, very good with money, but we have open conversations about it. And yet I know people who are business partners who don't even have conversations about money with each other in their own business. So to me, just even bringing up those concepts earlier on a bit like we do now with sexual education, um, to me is, is crazy that it's not being done more so, but, um, maybe that'll change. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something about that in the future. I don't know. It is quite fascinating just how unavailable most most things are and how most people are just will, unwilling to communicate. And mm. ultimately, the biggest part about being an entrepreneur mm. comes down to being, being willing to actually scale those mindset barriers that have been built up because a lot of it's generational stuff that's yeah. very, very hard to work through. Yeah. But once you actually work through that stuff, you can recognize that, Money's not the problem. The yeah. problem is that money is an amplifier and yep. sometimes it Im- ends up amplifying bad people and yep. you, you can't avoid the bad people. They're at every single level of life. Why wouldn't they be at the rich people level? Yeah. But if the That's bad people are there, so are the good people. It's literally just an amplifier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I've always said that money just gets you more of what you've already got, um, which is the reason why, uh, if you give people, if people who win like lotteries, 
90% of them go broke within 18 months. The other, of the 10% who are left, 9% of them go broke within the next five years. Most of them end up with less money than they had in the first place because money just accelerates what you've already got. And what you've, if you've already got is bad money habits and you spend more than you earn, you think, well, how can I possibly run out of a million dollars or 15 million or a billion, I think was the most recent Powerball was close to a billion, obviously before taxes. It will only get you what you're already getting. It will get you more of what you're getting. So if you have shitty relationships with people, you're just going to have more shitty relationships. So I completely agree with you. It affects people at all different levels and you're going to find those different types of people. And again, it just reiterates our point, right? Like why wouldn't you teach people this as kids? Um, so yeah, it's, it's a real shame. And so th those were some things that I really had to quickly unlearn and then relearn about uh, management and money management. And it causes problems in my own family because <laughs> it's interesting. Like when you start having actual wealth, the first thing people will challenge you on is your possessions. They're like, why don't you drive a nicer car then? Why don't you have a bigger house? And I was like, and I was, sh I was sharing some of this stuff with my family. I was like, this is how much the business made. This is how much I personally took home. This is how much my investments turn over per month. And they're like, why don't you have a bigger house? And I was like, so your idea of me having money would be for me to get rid of it as quickly as possible. Is that, that's what your idea of wealth and in success is, is it? I was like, rich people don't get there by, ha by writing a lot of checks, you know, <laughs> like to me, I want to make sure I've got as much of it as possible to secure the future. So there's a lot of stuff that people presume is the equivalent of one plus one equals two. And business owners have to unlearn a lot of that stuff really, really quickly and start coming up with some different formulas uh, for how it really works. So yeah, and you have to learn that quickly. Otherwise, you will learn through pain and you will have to pay for those lessons as you and I have both found out. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. So that is a very powerful conversation that I feel like we could probably go on. for. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, sorry. I've gone off on a tangent here. I apologize. No, that is a that is a great topic that I think we might have to do a part two where we just mm. lean into that, cover some of the things you've learned and stuff like that. But I want to lean into some of the stuff you're doing in the agency space. Yeah, man. So, I know that you specialize in sales and closing, yeah. but if you're going to close anything, you have to be able to generate a lead. Mm -hmm. So let's start with what are some of your favorite lead sources right now for agencies? My number one lead source for me is my email list. Like we've tried everything. If there is literally no social platform or advertising platform or content platform that we haven't tried, and I'll talk about some of those, but without question, my number one source of leads right now is my email list. So we create a lot of content. Um, we have social followings and, you know, YouTube content and interviews like this, but, and books, but all of that needs to come into our, um, uh, email list. And the way that I define a lead is two things. First of all, they've expressed interest in something. So they've literally said, I'm interested in learning more about sales or whatever. And the second thing is they have contact information so I can reach out to them. That's why I do not consider uh, Facebook friends leads. Uh, I would consider that an audience, but I wouldn't consider it leads. It's not a lead until they've expressed interest, taken some kind of action uh, and given you their contact information. So the email list is without question what we now go back to time and time again to find bigger and bigger clients with our own selves. Now, in terms of how we're actually getting people onto, the, onto that email list, my two favorite sources right now are growing a personal following on Facebook. In fact, I was surprised at how quickly this would work. I, I know a lot of people say Facebook sucks and LinkedIn's where business owners are and stuff. I don't care about any of that. I was like, I'm going to test it. We now use a piece of software called uh, Pepper for Facebook or Pepper for coaches. I don't know what it's called. Um, and we basically try to add about 50 friends a day and roughly 17 of them accept. And that just builds up my Facebook following for free. And then if I post content on Facebook onto my own wall, people can interact with it and see it. And that's a really good way of very quickly, very quickly getting some leads. But from a longer term perspective, like that has a limit. And obviously it's a little bit labor intensive, but 
where we're generating leads like organically and at scale is with our YouTube content and with our blog content. I've been writing a blog for a long time and now we'll do anywhere between 20 and 30 leads a day, just completely organically without a cent in advertising, um, joining our email list and opting into something coming either from YouTube, both as a search platform and as an exposure platform on their suggested videos or via our blog articles and again both of those things are completely free they just require time and a little bit of investment um, in terms of like being smart about what you're creating um and yeah that's that's kind of our top of the funnel process i wish it was more complex or <laughs> you know uh interesting than that but it's it's really not i love that answer and honestly it is ultimately the same systems that work and will continue to work regardless of any algorithm changes regardless yeah. of any ad targeting changes and it completely blows my mind to find out how many businesses rely completely on just a funnel mm. and their advertising campaigns yeah and that if yeah. those ad accounts get shut down yeah. their business is basically going to disappear yeah how terrifying is that um, and do you know, what's really funny as well. Like <laughs> advertising is a lot like money. It only gets you what you're already getting. So you can only accelerate the results that are working through advertising. But if your if your offer doesn't convert, advertising won't change that. And if you're getting really crappy leads come through, advertising's not going to change that. And so the irony is you are better off not advertising and seeing if you can generate leads very manually, very organically until the point where you think, yeah, I'm now able to close a 25 or a $50,000 deal from basically just hard work. You can reverse engineer that the, the problem. And this is kind of, again, another like real problem we had was if you look at some of the big guys in the space and I love Ryan Dice from Digital Marketer, right? I'm not a huge fan of Russell Brunson, but I like some of his methodologies. There's a lot of big guys in the space, everyone from Sonny Lenarduzzi to Emmy Porterfield. But what they have a tendency to do is they say, here's what's working in a $10 million a year business. You should do this too. And that is fundamentally incorrect. That is like taking the same training that Eliwood Kipchoge takes with Nike to break a two hour marathon and trying to apply it to just someone who casually runs a 5k every once in a while. It doesn't translate. So rather than trying to copy and reverse engineer what other people do, you should reverse engineer what you have done and what is successful for you. If you have a Facebook following and you just add a bunch of friends, and you have an email list and you send a, an email out saying, uh, we've got this brand new process that's going to help you generate 10 leads for free. And a ton of people click on it and open and say, yeah, that's interesting. That's a pretty good indicator that that's something you should dial in on. What people tend to do is they tend to go straight into advertising. And like you say, they build up all the data and the algorithms and stuff like this. And then Facebook or Apple or Google, uh, or your funnel provider makes some kind of change. And all of a sudden, not only is your traffic dry up, but you have to start again from scratch, as opposed to just saying, it actually doesn't matter what they do, because I know what works for my audience that I've generated, and I'm going to work with them. And yeah, if we're going to work on advertising, great. But if that stuff shuts down, I don't lose the business, we just have to make an adjustment. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big that's a real big problem I see in the, in the kind of agency space in general or, or funnels and, and stuff like this. So yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. It's a fascinating topic because everybody who's just running that, who's just building it on ads is literally just renting their traffic. Whereas yeah. then there's the guy, there's the guys like you and me who are out here focusing on the long form media, on, on the long form media, the podcast, yeah, the YouTube, yeah. the blog, the blogs, all the things that are actually going to rank on Google and compound both their authority and mm -hmm. their traffic for basically ever unless somebody takes the manual action to actually go and take that down or delete that whereas any of the other stuff it can just get taken down because 
one of Zuckerberg's AIs doesn't like. Yeah. So yeah, that is we've, a, we've had it. Like that's a very right. dangerous line to walk as a business. Owner. Uh, and so, and what's really interesting? So I recently deleted my Facebook group which a ton of people was like, that's insane. Why would you do that? And it had thousands of agency owners in there, like 5,000 or something. I don't know. And people were like, that's absolutely insane. And I am, I wholeheartedly agree with you. The next wave of billionaires will be made from audience acquisition. That is the game right now. Acquire as big an audience as possible. If you think life gets easier when you've got a lot of money, life is just as easy when you have a large audience and you know how to monetize them. That's they're like two you know, they, they work in tandem to the point now where I like, I don't know if you guys can see my board behind me. We just set up these, what we call 10 K tests. So $10,000 tests where we're like, can we make 10 K selling this? Can we make 10 grand selling this? And it's because we're able to monetize our audience. If you're constantly, as you correctly state, renting your audience, you don't have that audience to go back to. So you're constantly playing at the mercy of the people who do have the audience, which is Facebook. I would rather say to Facebook, thanks very much for that, but I actually want them to become a member of my audience and move them into my systems and onto my turf because I know that at some point you are going to change. Audience acquisition is the name of the game. Doesn't matter what business you're in, if you're unable to acquire an audience, it doesn't have to be millions, it doesn't even have to be hundreds of thousands. But if you can't acquire an audience of people, you are always going to be at the mercy of someone of a business who has who has got the audience. So you're better off trying to like kind of move them over to your audience as soon as possible. Does that make sense? Absolutely, man. So I know one of the most valuable things that both of us have is our time. And I assume you're yeah. a very busy guy. We had 30 minutes booked out for this. So yeah. I do just want to check. Do you have a hard stop or do you have time for No, man, I'm good. Questions? No, go for it. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, go for it. Okay, awesome. Do you want me to so speed up my answers? Into... Sorry, I'm, I'm going into them too much. Do you want me to speed up my answers? Oh, no, I don't have a hard stop. I just want to make sure I'm not leaning into anything no, man, I'm you good. have going on. No, so I'm, good. I'm, I'm trying good. to be respectful of your time. I appreciate that. So I want to lean into the sales now. Yeah. In your opinion, what is the difference between closing higher ticket deals versus lower ticket deals? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, give me some numbers. What do you say a high ticket and low ticket? I can Consider anything low, anything low ticket to be under someone spending five figures at this point. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. That's fair. So let's say a thousand dollars and twenty five thousand dollars. That sound like a pretty decent. Yes. So the only difference is that I would have to sell twenty five of the one thousand dollar products to match one sale of the twenty five thousand. That is literally it. The amount of time and energy you have to spend on acquisition, selling, closing, objection, turning, objection handling. Um, onboarding is exactly the same. And I have sold everything from 99 cents audiobooks up to $800,000 worth of consulting and coaching. And I can tell you that they basically take both the same amount of effort. The difference is in how much qualification you need to do beforehand before you get to that point. I think a lot of people feel that finding a five-figure client or a six-figure client is going to take way more effort and is going to require more leads. That's not the case at all. Um, not at all. If anything, I would argue that people who are constantly looking for like the lowest ticket and lowest barrier to entry, they actually tend to be a bit more work. I've noticed every time we've increased our prices, the customers actually get easier to work with. So the only difference realistically between closing, like It's basically the amount of revenue you'll make for the amount of time. So it's interesting you bring up time. We were realizing that, so our, our core coaching program is 2K a month, 2,500 a month or whatever. I realized, why am I doing one-on-one -on -one calls to sell this? Why don't I just get 10 people on a call and I'll pitch them all at once and we can try and close a bunch of people on one hour as opposed to, 10 one hour blocks right? right and everyone was like well no that doesn't really work so you have to do webinars and stuff like that for smaller lower ticket items we tried it turns out it does work it actually has a better conversion rate because everyone's kind of in this little mini coaching cohort and they want to move forward to the next stage there's a little bit of peer pressure the only reason people insist on pricing themselves low is because they're unable to definitively explain why something would be worth selling for why they would be worth spending 25K on as opposed to a grand. 
the closing process is the same. The sales process is the same. The market acquisition strategies are the same. Stop undercharging. It's not a closing problem or a sales problem. It's a, it's a pricing and a qualification problem. You tell me, man. What do you think? Call me out. If you think that's nonsense, I'd love to hear so, it's a different side. I would argue that there is one other thing, and you kind of did touch on that. And that, and that comes down to the confidence and the clarity in how you communicate your offer. You yep. can't sell something at a high, as, at, as a high ticket offer if you can't confidently communicate what it is and be confident that you're actually delivering that amount of value. They're not going to buy it. So there is the mindset and internal shifts mm. that definitely have to happen in order to go from low to high ticket. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's a really good point. And do you know what's really interesting in that is that that costs the salesperson nothing, right? That's the really interesting point. That's a really good point. So if we wanted to take an offer that we were selling for $1,000, and this is what we do in our program, right? Most people sell and we have data on this. We have an app that collects like how much people are charging for their services. On average, it's around $3,600 per project, which to me is criminal. So we try to say, well, we can get you to 25,000. If someone wanted to 10 exit to 36,000, I'm like, fine, it's the same process. The difference, exactly as you've pointed out, is they just have to spend more time thinking, well, how can I clearly communicate that this is worth 36 grand as opposed to 3,600? But the process itself of selling it and closing, if anything, can be easier. Like we teach our guys, if you're selling something for 25K, which is like our baseline, you don't need to have a proposal or a written proposal for it. You can just have like a really high level one page overview of the timescales and a checkout page. And we see that people close it on like two calls. We regularly have customers close 25, 30, I think 80,000 we had come through where someone was like, I just did two phone calls and I sent them over a one page document and it was actually easier to close them. Now, there is an awful lot about like, well, how do you qualify them and find those leads and nurture them? But again, exactly as you've stated, it's all to do with the clarity of the offer. And yet that's free. That just requires you to sit down and think constructively about what it is you're offering. You don't have to add any value. I think adding value is like, to me, is, is one of the biggest mistakes that I think business owners try to make. Um, if anything, you should probably be taking things out of your service to make it like better. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a fair point. I'd agree with you there, Trey. Yeah. Awesome. So you already cut, you already mentioned this, but a lot of business owners are always asking, when do I raise my prices? How do I yeah. do that? Like, at what percentage rate? Everybody wants to know what yeah. formula for it, man. So yeah. how do you advise people to go about it? Well, I would ask them, uh, let's take uh, Microsoft, Apple, and because he's a popular guy at the moment, uh, Tesla. Do you know when their most expensive products were created? When their most expensive products were created? recently now every time they make something nope day zero so their most expensive products for all companies that have been successful are their first iterations so tesla's first car was their most expensive one today microsoft's first product was their most expensive one google apple everything is the most expensive when they first release it oracle ibm cisco uh, logitech uh, nikon haberglass samsung any company that has crushed sales and scale on a global scale their most expensive product was their first product your customers should be paying for you at the start to get everything right so your most expensive price should be right at the start from day zero the problem is we go well i don't know how to deliver that kind of value we can cover that off in a minute but in terms of pricing you should only be getting cheaper as you go on because when you bring for example if you had eight customers paying you 10 grand a month for advertising and you did some work with them, and it's not a huge amount of money for some businesses, they'll gladly pay 10 grand a month to, to take off some services. You have a basically a million dollar a year business there, right? From the get go. And I know coaches who just do coaching at 10 K a month. Okay. If you then go, well, I want to open this up to a wider portion of the market. That's when you reduce your prices because you've got better at what it is that you're actually developing. 
it's only over time where we can get more efficient and add more efficient processes into our business and systems that we should start reducing the price. But people flip that and they go, well, I need an app and a book and a course to start with. And that's the low ticket stuff. And that'll get people in. If you can't sell something for $25,000, especially agency owners, there is no way in hell that you're going to be able to scale something at $500 a month. Now, there are tons of businesses out there who are selling $500 a month marketing agency services. Great. I will tell you categorically that I have a bunch of them in my coaching program struggling with cash flow, right? And I'm talking like name brand businesses who say, yeah, 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 we have 500 bucks a month and they pay for the software or for our, you know, unlimited content or whatever it is, um, or design revisions and stuff. And yet they struggle with cash flow because they haven't learned how to sell it at a high ticket price, even one-on-one in a clunky fashion. What they're trying to do is skip a bunch of stages and see, again, it's that thing I told you about, like people are trying to apply the logic of a $10 million a year business to a business that's not making 75 grand just yet. If you make one sale at $25,000, forget how you're going to deliver it for the time being, because I can promise you when you make that 25k or the deposit for 10,000 or 5,000 or 2000 a month, which is, you know, another good way to do it, you will work your ass off trying to deliver results to that customer. And then you can go great, what can I do for the next customer and make it more efficient from that standpoint, your first customers are beta users, and they should be paying for the privilege of getting your time because you will be investing more time with them. Um, That to me is, is when you need to raise your prices is right at the start and only after time when you've become more efficient, you want to start lowering them with other products and offerings. Um, And that's true for all businesses in, in my humble opinion. And I can only say that because I have done it both ways. And I can assure you there's one way that makes me exponentially more money. That way definitely works much better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, and you see it like, the problem is people try to launch brand new software and they say, Hey, we're doing this lifetime deal. And where are they now? Like for every app that crushes it, there are a ton of apps that just go under like vaporware. I'm sure you've bought some lifetime deal stuff in the past. I know I have where they haven't charged enough money to basically maintain it going forward. Um, so yeah, so that's, yeah. Raise your money, raise your prices now. Raise your prices now. And whatever you want to make, like, what do you want to make a year? Like most people want to take home six figures, right? Perfect. So it's a hundred grand. So your business probably needs to make 350 grand a year. So why not have uh, a product that charge takes two grand a month? Um, and within whatever that is, 15, 16 clients, like you'll have that business ready to go. And I can assure you, you can then start looking at options to scale afterwards. It'll be infinitely easier when you've got that cash flow behind you as well. Cash flow is one of the biggest mm. things. Uh, one of yeah. my mentors, Dan Nicholson, has really been beating that into me how just how important the cash flow and making sure that you have your money working for you in the background is because if it's not working for you in the background, then you're not getting amplified as much as you as much as you could be that goes to yeah it goes back to what we mentioned that money is just an amplifier of everything that you're doing yeah man yeah that's interesting so, that's come up again yeah totally agree yeah 100 percent. so as you're raising those prices how do you overcome the two the it's too expensive objection uh okay so first of all they shouldn't be getting to that point in the call right So there's a bunch of ways of handling this and depending on your level of confidence and how much, how secure you are with your income. If people ask me now, like how much is your coaching program? I'll say it's 2k a month. And if they go, Whoa, that's a lot of money. I go, yep. I agree with them. It is a lot of money, right? There's nothing I can do about that. So if you are in the position where you think we actually don't, we're not desperate for clients, just be upfront with it. Raise your prices significantly to the point where people are going, that's a lot of money. The biggest mistake I see, though, is people aren't willing to ask the budget question before they make the pitch or the close, right? So if you're an agency, for example, and you have a lead come through and you do a bunch of discovery sessions, which often turn into free coaching calls for no reason, and you do a bunch of free consultation with them, and then you write up a beautiful proposal and you send it over to them and they say, okay, this is 20 grand, and they go, whoa, that's way too expensive, 
they shouldn't have got to that point in the first place. We use a framework called BANTS, B-A-N-T-S, which is the first conversation. We even do it via like text chat, you know, or messenger, where I want to find out what their budget is, who the authority is, like who the decision maker is, uh, what their needs are, what their time scale is, and what their supply and who, what other suppliers they're working with. And that gives me a really quick snapshot. Because if someone says, um, hey, Mike, I really want to work with you. We get it all the time. I get this literally dozens a day. Hey, Mike, I'd love to work with you. Um, we really want to make our business turn over a million dollars a year. I'm like, of course you do. Who doesn't? Like, how many clients are you working with right now? They say, none. Okay. So how much are you planning on spending to get to a million dollars? And they say, we haven't got any money. I'm like, well, why would I then waste two hours trying to sell to you something where you don't have the resources to invest? That's fine. You're entitled to have a business that no, makes no money. We've all been there, but I'm not going to pitch and sell to you my high ticket product in order to get you to this point where you physically can't afford it. So we want to qualify these people out as early as possible. Now, let's say that you have on your intake form, your call booking form, like the messages, all of that, you have qualified and you say, they say, yeah, we could probably look to do around two and a half grand a month or three grand a month or 25K or something like that, right? And you pitch them something which is like five to 10K over that. If someone comes to you and says, and you know that they probably can afford this because bear in mind, you're only going to take a deposit to start with, or you're going to start with a subscription or something like that. So they don't need to give you the full lump sum up front. If they go, whoa, that's a lot of money, agree with them. Go, yeah, it is. What's the long card number that you're going to be paying with? That's all they want to hear. They want to hear that you've acknowledged that. It's first of all, not them saying no. It's also them admitting that it's a lot of money and they just want you to also admit that. They want to know that you care about that. If someone says, okay, it's going to take a year to put this project together. You go, that's a long time. You go, yeah, it is a long time. You're agreeing with them. Don't argue with them. The big mistake that people make, especially agencies, is they try to combat it or they get really defensive. And they say like, well, you know, in comparison to what? Like, well, that's not a fair question. And you immediately are making the customer feel like they're wrong. Whereas I'm like, we're on the same side of the table. We're working together on this. I'm just telling you how much it's going to cost. Like, don't get, don't have a go at me. That is the price. Have you seen how much uh, plane tickets and uh, mortgage rates are now? It's insane. Everything's gone up in price. So yeah, I totally agree, which is why we have all these checks and balances in place. But apart from the money, does everything else look okay with the proposal? And they say, yeah, everything else looks fine. Fantastic. Let's get started today. All we need to do is take a deposit. We can start with two grand a month and we can run it through, you know, once a month for 2K. Yeah, okay, fantastic. The sooner you can start taking payment from them, this is the, sooner, the sooner you can start helping them. So when someone says that's expensive, agree with them, but that's not a no. Just move on to the next stage. Is that, have I kind of like explain yeah, that clearly enough because it's, it's a it's a really important point that you raise and, and and i think it's something that kills businesses needlessly frankly absolutely man so you kind of leaned into this before but you have multiple businesses of your own and quite a bit going on what is your like kind of diversification strategy and also, how do you manage your time while you're diversifying things so you don't just get overwhelmed or let one project yeah. slip to the wayside, et cetera? Yeah. You know, I wish I had like a, well, I have this magic calendar formula and that means I never feel overwhelmed. And that's not true. Um, so between you, me and your listeners, a few weeks ago, I was massively overwhelmed and I was extremely stressed about a process and thing that we had coming out and our time was all over the place and we were traveling a lot and I was doing events and I was miserable. And I was even to the point where I was like, I hate this. I'm, I'm going to get rid of all of this. And it's important that we acknowledge that because I think a lot of people feel like, you know, that long-term grind or that working at the business and being committed to it is somehow always satisfying. And it's not, it's miserable. There's days where you're always going to, there's, there's always going to be days where you feel overwhelmed. The difference, and this was taught to me by, um, Dan Priestley, who wrote uh, Oversubscribed, um, as well as a bunch of other books like Entrepreneur Revolution. He has a killer piece of software called ScoreRap. And the advice he gave to me was in terms of diversifying and creating other businesses, 
you need to, so I'm now in the mindset of buying businesses basically, um, rather than setting them up. Um, and he said, if you were to announce, we've just bought this business that does X, that has an AI system, which creates landing pages, for example, would your current audience and customers go, yeah, that hundred percent makes sense. That's great. I was like, oh, that's a really sensible investment strategy, right? Because I want stuff that adds to the ecosystem. Now we do have property income and I have like, whatever you call it, uh, investments and stuff, which are on a completely different end of the spectrum. That's just where we put our money. So from a diversification standpoint of the businesses that we run, I know there are people who run businesses which are completely opposite ends of the spectrum. I couldn't do that. I really struggled with that. It, it, it kind of freaked me out and I basically wasn't able to handle it. So maybe it's a maturity thing. Maybe I, my brain isn't wired. So if some people can do that, awesome. I wasn't able to. So for me, I like to think what would make sense to add to my current audience's ecosystem. So that was to be the first piece. In terms of managing time, um, the number one thing I can say that has completely changed like how I address everything is I wake up at the same time every single day, no matter what. And the first four hours are purely for me. So I will exercise. That is purely for me. I'll spend time with the family. I will eat a proper breakfast and I don't get going until like nine, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. That's when I'll sit down with my team. And even then the first two or three hours then are purely for me and my business. We structure client work and meetings and calls like this, for example, in the afternoon, and the evening, because it's not my best creative thinking time. And it's easier for me to structure those types of things later on. So figuring out like, how much time do I want to spend on me and then sticking to it. And the interesting thing is the more people you tell that you're going to stick to it, the more they respect you for it and the more they give you that space. Um, and so actually just having a routine to me was the, the biggest, ironically, route to freedom. So having more routine actually gave me more freedom um, with my time membership. I love that, man. So is there anything else that you're doing to carry the weight of your crown and take care of everything that's going on underneath it? Uh, yeah. So I think you kind of briefly mentioned this, like right at the start. Um, to me, so, so back in 2021, um, I was diagnosed with cancer. And after four operations and a load of chemotherapy and all that kind of stuff, your priorities shifted. My priorities shifted drastically. And when you talk about how do you carry the weight of what it is you're doing and going forward, it occurred to me the only two things I really cared about were my team. I didn't care so much about the business as I did about the team. I didn't really care about the content I created. I cared about my team's livelihood and my family. I basically wanted to make sure is everyone going to be able to afford what they want in their life. Interestingly, the weight of carrying all of that has been made easier by communicating that more with them. The more I have communicated with my team and my family, the better everything else has become. It has become much easier to get the results that we want, have everyone focused on the same goals. I have said, look, the vision I have for this house, and I know it sounds stupid and almost petty, but the vision I have for literally this house, here's what I want to do with the garden. Here's what I want our finances to look like. Here's what I want our housing situation and our transport situation to look like. And the clearer I've communicated that vision with them, the more on board everyone has got. And they go, yep, that sounds good. And I, like that's family members. And it's the exact same with our team as well. I don't think it is about how can I learn to structure and manage my own skill sets better because I'm not the smartest person to run the business. I'm definitely not the best person to run the business at all. But the more I've shared that with our team, like, here's what I want to get to. We're going to sell this product only, and we're going to sell this product only, and we're going to get to 500,000, and then we're going to get to 750, and then we're going to get to 800, and then we're going to get to a million and 1.6 million and so on. Like the clearer I have outlined that vision, the more everyone has been aligned in moving forward. And that's been the biggest lesson to me is the more I've communicated the vision I have for my own life with the people involved in that aspect of it, the more likely they are to help me out with it and the easier it has been to um, carry that forward. And I really like that terminology you've mentioned, by the way, like to carry that crown. That to me is a really interesting um, uh, 
kind of visual aspect. So yeah, that's good, man. Does that make sense? Is that all right? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. One of the things that I say and that I communicate to all of our salespeople is that communication breeds clarity and clarity brings success. So I very much resonate with what you're saying. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's good. So is is there anything special that you'd like to leave our audience with today? Um, like a last little like mantra or tidbit or something. Yeah. Yeah. So the core kind of like fundamental principle behind all of my values and what you might even deem happiness. So the two goals that I have are to be at peace and to live in harmony with nature, which I know sounds completely like hippie commune stuff, but to be at peace, like happiness is fleeting. Don't chase happiness. When a member of your family dies, you don't think, hey, I can't wait to feel happy about this. You say, I hope one day I can feel at peace about this. That's the best you can hope for is to be at peace. And then to live in harmony with nature doesn't mean to like live in a ditch in a mud hut. What it means is to accept the way things are, right? To have things, nature is an indomitable force. You're not gonna do anything about it. So to be at harmony with things that are working in nature. And the way that I have done that is to be is to have the courage to be disliked and that's our number one core fundamental guiding principle behind the business the life if you have the courage to be disliked by those around you um life becomes a lot easier to manage uh because our desperate desperation and need to be liked by people is what holds us back and yet the irony is true freedom true peace potentially even happiness and joy actually comes from having the courage to be disliked by large segments of the population, perhaps even all the population. Um, But that is what will lead you to have a more successful business, a more successful life, a more successful home life, is to make sure that you have the courage to be disliked. So that'd be the last little kind of piece that that I've perhaps I've learned maybe. Awesome. That's so powerful, man. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, What is the best way for people to see more of you and get involved with you? Yeah, man, head over to youtube.com forward slash sell your service. That's our YouTube channel. Um, Or just email me like michael at sellyourservice.co.uk. I might not answer immediately, but I will answer at some point. And I think if you Google like how to sell a marketing funnel, like I'm the number one result. So if you can't remember any of that, just Google how to sell a marketing funnel. and, And that's usually me at the top. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time today. That was a no worries, man. Let me know when this goes out and we'll gladly share it with our list as well. Awesome, man. I'll get you over the link and make sure you have everything when when it gets edited. Sounds good, dude. Thanks again for tuning in for another episode. Make sure that you subscribe to the show so you're never left out in the snow. Do you want to build a business or get more customers online? Are you tired of spending all your time shackled to your business? Tired of being treated like the court jester? Not anymore. You can get a care package from Trey today for just a buck that will help you beat shiny object syndrome with Trey's favorite tool list. Build your online authority and network with your own podcast and by being interviewed on other podcasts. Systemize your business with Trey's seven pillar system. Hire a VA to get your time back and so much more. You heard me right. All of that for less than the last Starbucks you got. Go to TreyCarmichael.us and get yours while it's hot. Check the couch for that dollar if you gotta.